Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Back in November, I started a series that I've, I've concluded on... Uh, Three things that those who are indwelt by the Spirit need to be conscious of. Or you could say it this way, it was, it was a long title, it was hard to, to, to get it right. But anyway, another, another way of saying it was uh, uh, three ways to cooperate with the indwelling Spirit. And so the first one of those was to, uh, that constant renewals of the Spirit are necessary. Second one was to learn to walk in the Spirit. And, and the third one was learn the way of the Spirit. So I ministered on that in uh, in uh, the second half of November, I think, and then all of December. I wasn't here the Sunday uh, after Christmas, the day after Christmas. Believe me, I would have rather been here. Uh, then on the following Sunday, instead of picking this that message back up, on January the 2nd, I preached on... Uh, the things that he has prepared for us. And I did that in, in particularly because it was January, the first Sunday of January, the Lord just gave me that. And uh, then Pastor Angela and I left town that week. We left town on, I think, the 6th of January on a Thursday and we flew out to California. So we were there the next weekend, the 9th of January, and in the Holy Ghost meetings. They started actually on Friday. We got there on Thursday. The Holy Ghost meeting started on Friday and went through uh, Friday of the next week or Thursday of the next week. And on Tuesday of that week, Pastor Nancy asked me to minister. Actually, she, she didn't ask me. She asked my wife if she would ask me. And, uh, and she asked me on Tuesday afternoon. Angela came to me Tuesday afternoon and said, Pastor Nancy wants you to minister in the morning. And uh, so I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, so I ministered on the things God has prepared for us, but it came out completely different than it did here, which is not uncommon. Some of you went online and, and, uh, and saw uh, and listened to the message that I preached out there that, uh, that Tuesday morning, uh, but I know most of you probably didn't. So the Lord, there's still some things in me, and this is going to come out different yet. Than the one that I did in January here, the one I did in January in California. But I am going to take the same text. So I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and be in agreement with me now. Join your faith with me that, uh, that I'll have utterance and be able to say what the Lord wants me to say. You know, it's not just dependent upon me. I do have a part to play, but uh, uh, it depends on the hearers to draw on it as well. Amen. Glory to God. Let's, let's begin in, uh, we're in, we're in first Corinthians, the second chapter. Let's start in verse number, uh, well, we're going to start in verse four so that verse six makes sense. And then we're going to read on down, uh, and probably stop at the 10th verse. There's more to this, but we're going to read verses, uh, four through 10. So verse four says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. This, of course, is the Apostle Paul uh, recounting how he came to Corinth originally. And the gospel had never been preached in Corinth. They had never heard it. No one there had heard it. He came and, and preached the gospel to these people for the very first time. And a church then was born out of this. So this is what he's talking about. And he's talking about his first visit there. He said, in my speech and my preaching was not, or, or, or were not, with persuasive words of human wisdom. But my speech and my preaching were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Now, uh, I want to I want to just jump off of this verse and go back to chapter one and say something here, and and we're going to pull this out a little bit later. Look at chapter one, verse twenty one. Notice we just read that their faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The world has its own idea of wisdom, and it's wrong. It's false. It's a false wisdom. It's full of pride. Human wisdom is founded in pride. Well, notice in verse number, in chapter one, verse 21, he said, since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, 
For for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I think the older King James says through the foolishness of preaching. Through the foolishness of preaching. I want that to just to lodge in your brain there for a minute and we'll pick up that idea a little later. So let's go back to chapter two, verse five. He said, I wanted your faith. I did what I did. I preached not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but I preached in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now let's continue on in verse number six. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom. I want you to underscore those, those two words. The hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God ordained His wisdom for us before the ages, not just this age, but ages, for our glory, God had us in mind. For our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. As I've commented many times over the years, so often people will read a verse like this and they take it out of its setting and they say, well, see there, you never can figure out what God's doing. You know, you just can't, you just never know what what God's up to. His ways are beyond our ways. Well, that's true. There's a scripture that says that, but we can learn his ways. This verse that he's quoting, he says, as it is written, this is a loose uh, paraphrase of another passage in the Old Testament. It applied to people in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the prophet said, eye has not seen nor ear has heard. It's not entered into the thoughts of man or into the hearts of man what God has prepared. But the verse that's next brings it down to us today. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things Yes, the deep things of God. Now, when you, I'll just take a little side journey here because we're not going to spend a lot of time on, it, time on it. But when you start reading about the deep things of God, people have a tendency to get all, you know, smoky minded. And I, I like the phrase that I'm going to, I've, I've stolen this phrase from Randall Greer. And, and I'm going to give him credit about two more times and then it's going to be mine. <laughs> but he talks about, about the spooky natural. Instead of the supernatural, some people just have the spooky natural. In other words, their idea of, of the deep things of God and spiritual things is, you know, they're kind of their heads up in the clouds and they sort of pretend like they're, you know, in the spirit and everything's weird. You can't have a conversation with them. Uh, that's spooky natural. And, but God, spooky, God is not spooky natural. He's supernatural. And the truth is supernatural. It's not weird. It's not spooky. There are some deep things that God has prepared for us. Now that doesn't make you or me deep. There are deep things prepared for shallow people like us. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, I'm not claiming that you said, yeah, but your friends know. (laughs) God has revealed them. What is, what, what are the them? What is them? What's he talking about? The things, verse right before it, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God prepared things and it's, and it's what he prepared is part of this wisdom that was hidden God hid the things that he has prepared for us 
and he ordained them before the ages for our glory. In other words, the things that are available to us and the things that belong to us are not uh, afterthoughts with God. We didn't come on the scene and then God think up something for us. Sometimes, you know, uh, maybe you're, you're at home, you know, and, and uh, you didn't know that someone was coming to eat. And they just show up. Now you got to prepare something, right? No, that's not how this happened. God prepared things for us before the ages. So he planned, there was deliberate action taken, deliberate forethought, planning, strategizing to lay in store for us these things that he has prepared for us. So it was very deliberate. When I was in California in January, I thought about uh, my wife and I when we got married. Now we got married, you know, very, uh, uh, it wasn't well planned out. That was my wife and me when we got married. That was taken on our wedding night in, uh, in the pastor's office. The two of us were there. Angela's parents were there. My mom was there. Was your sister there? Nope, your sister wasn't there. My sister and her husband was there. My brother, were they there? They had just gotten married. They got married the week before. And they had a suitable wedding. <laughs> they had a regular wedding. My mom, it was up in Tennessee and my mom went up to, to uh, just the week before. And, uh, and, she, and she went up to Tennessee. We did, I went with her, went up to Tennessee. My, my brother married his wife in, on Friday the 16th of May. And my mom had no idea what was about to happen because I hadn't had this conversation with her yet. And so when we got home on Sunday night, I said, uh, Mom, I need to tell you something. <laughs> and so on Friday of the following week, we got, of that week, we got married. Angela and I got married. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lot of preparation. And so we didn't, I didn't uh, have a chance to buy her a wedding ring or anything. Didn't have any money to begin with, but uh, I didn't have a chance to buy her a wedding ring or anything like that. And so that night we got married. I, we were just kids. I was 17, she was 16. And uh, so we, we got married in the pastor's office and then we went to the Holiday Inn that night. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the most romantic weekend because I was still in high school and I was two weeks away from graduating and I, my, whether I was going to graduate or not was kind of sketchy. I had my fingers crossed. I was pretty sure I was going to graduate, but I had to finish a term paper that weekend on our wedding weekend. I had to write my high school term paper on some subject. I don't know what it was. And, uh, so anyway, we, uh, we went to the hotel that night and, uh, Angela borrowed her mother's wedding band so that we would look, you know, official. And because we, we looked just like we looked when we looked like kids, you know, we were. And so we went to the check-in, you know, desk at the hotel and checked in the hotel. And I, I'm sure they probably grinning and punching each other as we walked off like these kids are, who are they kidding? You know, they're not married. And, um, so anyway, we, uh, it was it was a, a weird weekend. Had a lot of distractions, a lot of crazy things going on. Uh, I had to bury a dog at my sister's house on Saturday. Her dog had been killed, and we were spending we were spending Saturday night at her house. She and her husband had gone out of town, and so we we were going to go and spend the night at their mobile home on Saturday. So there we got there, and their dog had been hit by a car. It was a big it was a German Shepherd or something. So I had to dig a big hole and bury the dog, and then. Uh, uh, Sunday morning, we got up and I had to go pick my mom up. Oh, Saturday night, we had a banquet because the church, our church had prepared a, uh, uh, a graduation banquet for all the graduating seniors. And we couldn't, because back then, you couldn't be in high school and be married. If you, if you got married, you had to drop out of school. And I was two weeks away from graduation. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't afford that. So we had to keep it quiet. So we had to go to the high school graduation banquet that Saturday night, you know, with all the other high schoolers, you know, and just play along, you know, like we weren't married. And, and, uh, and then on, on uh, uh, 
Sunday morning, I had to go pick my mom up for church. I was driving her car. That was only fair. <laughs> so I picked my mom, my aunt and I picked my mom up, went to church. We had to go into the high school class because we were in high schoolers, you know. So went in the high school class on Sunday morning, the youth class, you know. And then Sunday afternoon, uh, we took my mom out or she took us out to lunch, I guess. Went out to eat and then I took her home and then uh, uh, Sunday night had to pick her up again. My sister was still out of, out of town, still staying at her, at her mobile home on Sunday. And I had to finish that term paper on Sunday. And uh, no, this was the one time she wouldn't do it for me. She'd written a couple of term papers for me. And this time she said, nothing doing. And so uh, that's what happens when you get married. <laughs> Things change, don't they? <laughs> so anyway, that was Sunday afternoon. I'm writing a term paper. Sunday night, of course, we went to church. Go pick my mom up, bring her to church. Went to church after church. You know, went out and got something to eat, took my mom home, and then uh, I took my wife to her home because she lived on the south side and I lived on the north side. So I dropped my wife off at her house, kissed her goodnight, and then I went back home and, uh, and, and we lived separate for the next two weeks until after graduation. And so uh, I said all that to say this, you know, we, I, she never had a decent ring. Now, a little later, I think a few weeks later, we bought a couple of gold bands, and they were nice, 14 karat gold, you know, and hers was $19, and mine was $24, and, uh, you know, dollars, not carats, uh, 14 karat gold, and uh, so we had been married, you know, we had children right away, and we're just, you know, in the thick of just, you know, married life and trying to get on our feet financially. So I just never, we never got around to buying, you know, anything other than those gold bands. So on our 25th wedding anniversary, as it was coming up, I decided I'm going to buy my wife a, a suitable, you know, appropriate wedding band, not just appropriate for them, but appropriate for now, 25 years. And uh, now leading up to that, I put some feelers out to see, you know, what she would like. I, I, you know, she knew I was going to do this. I told her. But previous to that, anytime I bought her jewelry, I mean, nine times out of 10, she didn't like it. I just never have been able to pick out. I'll find something I think that is just gorgeous. My wife will love that. No, I don't care for that. So I've just gotten in the habit and already had been in the habit by this time. I don't buy jewelry. You know, just let my wife pick it out and I'll pay for it. That'll be fine. So uh, I wanted to see, you know, if I could find her something really nice. So I went to the jewelry, jewelry store in, in Gainesville in the mall. And I picked out a be- what I thought was a beautiful <laughs> ring. Had a Lassar diamond, which, has a, which is certified, a real nice cut, you know. It was brilliant. It was beautiful, I thought. And so I said, well, I just want you to come look at it. I'm not buying it. I just want to see what you think. She looked at it and said, no, I don't like that. Okay, so I I went ahead and bought. Now this was in 1995, and didn't have. I guess there was an internet then, but I don't know if I even had a computer. I don't even remember. But uh, in 95, would I've had a computer? I don't know. Anyway, uh, the internet wasn't what it is now. I don't remember how I even searched to find this diamond, but I searched wherever you searched back then for diamonds, and I found a one carat. Uh, princess cut, and it was a white diamond. It was either a D, E, or an F, one of those numbers. I'm not, I don't remember which one. So it was considered white. And it was internally flawless. It was, a, it was an expensive stone. I found this really nice one-carat diamond. And because my wife didn't, you know, I couldn't find anything she liked in a setting, we, we decided that she would create she would get with a jeweler and help design her own setting, her own ring. So we went to Michael John, who used to be in, in town here for years, just a, a wonderful jeweler. He was a very good artist and excellent what he did. And so she and he worked together and they came up with the, with the wedding ring that she has on her hands now. It was her design, his design, and he put a bunch of little diamonds, 19 or 20 diamonds around it and, uh, and made a beautiful ring. Well, you know, uh, that was something I was so looking forward to. And that's why I wanted, that's why I let her look at one that I thought she would like. She didn't like it. 
So I wanted her to have something that she would enjoy, something that she would use, that, that she would really take pride in. So I wanted her to have it. What do you think, how do you think I would feel after all of that? We, we had this ring. Now, we didn't pay this much for it. Now, we paid a lot of money, or I did a lot for it. You know, the different pieces. We, had, we took that to a jeweler way back then in 95. We took it to an independent jeweler. Now, this diamond was GIA certified. It was beautiful, you know. We took it to an independent jeweler that didn't have anything to do with what we had done. And I think they valued that ring at $20,000. Which in 1995, that was a lot of money. And uh, so it was very nice. How, would, how do you think I would have felt if after a week or so, she said, you know, I don't really care for this. I'm just, I appreciate it, but I'm just going to stick it here in the drawer and, uh, and not wear it. No, that wouldn't have made me happy. God wants us to enjoy the things he has prepared for us. And he's gone to a lot more. He's given a lot more attention to what he has prepared for us than we ever invested in that ring. And God wants us to have what belongs to us. Now, as I was looking at this, it says here that God ordained this before the ages for our glory. Uh, Go with me if you would. See which verse I want you to look at. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to lay a foundation here, give you a couple of verses, three verses. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice this who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, you might notice if you're reading the King James Bible that the word places there is in italics. That means it's not in the original uh, Greek text. It was just added. What it literally says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Well, what in the world does that refer to? If you drop on down to in the same chapter, in verse 20, it says, and we pick up in the middle of a fault here, but it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. So when it's talking about the heavenlies, it's talking about the throne of God in heaven where God is enthroned and where the Lord Jesus Christ was seated next to him at his right hand. And it goes on to say far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named and so forth. But it doesn't just stop there. If you come on down into the second chapter, it says in verse five, when we were dead, you and me, when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in union with Christ Jesus. So when it's talking about the heavenlies, it's talking about where God is, where Christ is, and that we have been raised up and seated together with Christ at the Father's right hand. That's positionally, and I know we're sitting here in this auditorium today, but positionally, that's where we are in God's thoughts. That's where he has placed us. And that's why the apostle said in verse, in chapter one, verse number three, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. At the, at the throne of God, at God's In his very presence and in his right hand where Jesus is seated, that's where we are. Are there any blessings missing? Is there, you can't even conceive of there being anything out of order, amiss, uh, uh, insufficient, not enough. He has blessed us with everything we will ever need in this life. Now, here's the, that's not even what I want to talk about. Just as he chose us in Christ, in him means in Christ, before 
the foundation of the world. Now, we just read that, that this mystery that God ordained for us, he ordained it before the beginning, before the ages. Here, he says, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ. I'm tell- you're talking about planning. I planned for a few weeks on this ring. This is something God has planned before the foundation What does it say? Of the world. Well, it's even more descriptive than that. Go with me over to Titus. Look at how Titus described this. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which, of, which accords with godliness. Now, when you start talking about the elect, you, you get into the, top, the topic of predestination. And some people have completely misunderstood the doctrine of predestination. Some people have alleged that it means that God predetermined some people to be saved and some people not to be saved. And that the people who, who eventually reject Christ, they do so because it was foreordained that they would reject him. And they really don't have a choice in the matter because God predetermined, predestined people to be one way or another way. And some are in the elect and some are not in that. Well, the fact is God pre, predetermined, he uh, uh, chose the entire human race to be brought into Christ. Those who make the right decision make themselves part of the elect. God intended this great gospel of salvation to be preached all over the world to every creature and anyone who will believe it, God had already predestined them to be involved in redemption and to receive. But it's up to the person to choose. Okay, now that's the truth. Let's go back and and continue here. He said, according to to the faith of God's elect. Notice it's according to the faith. It depends on faith, whether or not you believe it. The faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth. Some people won't acknowledge the truth. If you won't acknowledge the truth, you can't be part of the elect. But if you will have faith and you will acknowledge the truth, that puts you in the camp of the elect. Now notice verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the ages began. Before the ages began. How far back is that? We don't even know. We don't have any way of even calculating. Before the earth, before the sun, the moon, the stars, before the galaxy, before the solar system as we know it. I don't know how many ages they were, there were before. But there were ages before this present age. And before the, even before the Old Testament, before God ever created Adam and Eve, God had some things ordained. Way back before the ages, before humanity ever existed. God... Prepared these things, one of which is the hope of eternal life. God God planned eternal life before the ages began. But, now here's the thing, verse 3, but in due time manifested his word through preaching. In due time, in, in, when it was the right time. And notice he, he manifest, manifested it through preaching. Remind me to come back to that. Let's go over to, uh, to Romans 16. Romans 16. 
Verse 25. Now to him, Romans 16, 25. You don't turn to Romans 16 very often. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept Remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians, we talked about the, God's hidden wisdom. That's what this is talking about. According to the revelation of the mystery, and here are the two words I want, to just, I want to just burn into your consciousness. Kept secret since the world began. See, when, when God created the present world, and he created Adam and Eve, He didn't reveal to Adam and Eve this mystery. He didn't reveal to to, uh, the people in the Old Testament. Now, even the prophets in the Old Testament, by, by spiritual perception, they perceived that there were some things available, but they couldn't look into them. They could not understand them. Why? God kept them secret. God kept what we have as a secret from Abraham, from Moses, from David, from Jeremiah and Isaiah and Elijah. He kept these things secret. God, God... God was up to something. God was up to something big. You know it was big. He planned it. How how long can you keep a secret? (laughs) Some people can't keep a secret for five minutes. That's why people gossip. I said that's why people gossip. Because they know something and they just can't stand it until until somebody else knows what they know. And it's not all about what they know. It's about them being the one that told it. Well, that's the truth. That's another topic. But this was a huge deal. God prepared things for us. And it was so important that he kept it secret. As, the, as, as Adam and Eve came on the scene, you know, they were innocent. They didn't know anything except God's presence. And the enemy came to them and said, well, you know, what about this tree? If you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And Eve thought, well, that'll make me wise. Well, it didn't make them wise. They already knew the good. All they learned was the evil, but they didn't see the devil said, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. They didn't become like God. Their knowledge of evil wasn't from God's perspective. They became like the devil. The Lord said, the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. They died spiritually and were cut off from God and became, instead of a child of God, they became a child of the devil. They now knew evil, all right, but they knew it from the devil's perspective. They saw evil. They were, they were full of evil now. They were the embodiment of evil, just like their father, the devil, but they didn't have God's perspective. They didn't have his holy perspective on it. Of course, the devil lied. God could not bring this secret out into the open. It wasn't time. It wasn't time. He hid it down through the ages says here in verse 25, it was kept secret since the world began, but now, but now, made manifest, that means brought out into the open, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. See, it takes obedience. And let me just... 
the reason I, I, I stopped, I, I started talking about preaching and wanted to focus on this is, uh, you know, the world discounts preaching. The preaching of the gospel, it is the gospel message that people mock. They do mock that, but they especially mock the preaching of the gospel. It's, it's the butt of jokes. People, comedians, you know, will, will, will mimic preachers. And sometimes preachers' mannerisms are, are a little awkward, you know. But they'll make fun of and mock. God's, God chose the foolishness of preaching to bring the gospel to us. The next time you hear somebody mocking the gospel and mocking preachers, not talking about me, I'm just talking about in general, just remember God knew they would mock. God delivered the gospel through the, through the vehicle of preaching, knowing that men would mock. Because in order to take advantage of the things he has prepared, a person has to humble themselves and believe the truth. Even if the preaching seems ridiculous. If you remember when Paul preached, and I was reading this in, uh, go with me over, I was reading this during praise and worship. Go over to uh, Acts the 17th chapter. Acts 17. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for his company at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Now, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they were the wise men. They were the men that people looked up to. They were, ooh, they they were deep, 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 deep. And they were so proud of their wisdom. And, uh, but it says that in verse 17, that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplaces. Now, the, 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 the philosophers encountered him, encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? They were mocking him. The margin of my Bible, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, the, the babbler, that, that, that they, they called him a babbler, literally that means a seed picker. And it refers to uh, bums, really, who go about picking up scraps off the ground. And so derisively, they were called seed pickers. They weren't really picking seeds, they were just scavengers. And that's what, they, that's what they called the Apostle Paul, who was preaching the word of life. He was preaching this secret that God had kept from humanity all down through the ages, down through the Old Testament, generation after generation. Angels desired to look into it. God said, no, it's a secret. It's a secret. That's what Paul was proclaiming, and they called him a seed picker. The next time somebody calls you a name for believing in the gospel, you just take great pride in that. You say, yeah, glory to God, me and Paul, we're both seed pickers, glory to God. We're just, you call us whatever you want. You know what? If, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew that, that somebody came to you and had the wealth and had the means, so listen, if you'll wear this clown suit to work for a year, at the end of that year, I'm going to give you $20 million. But you can't tell anybody. You think you'd get mocked at work? Coming with a big old red nose? You know what? You would gladly, you would gladly be mocked. You'd sit back and just say, 
to yourself. You'd chuckle to yourself. Yeah, I'm going to do this for a year. Then I'm out of here. You guys are going to still be, still be on the grind, you know, working your, your, your rear end off, you know, every day. And I'm going to have $20 million in the bank. Go ahead and mock me all you want. Just laugh at me. I'll laugh with you. You know, you would. We need to have the right perspective when it comes to the gospel. Let the world mock all they want to. God has revealed some things. Wow, I didn't get very far. I have, let me just give you a little clue. This is something I have marked in my Bible. Go back to 1 Corinthians. It's been here a long time, this little note that I've made to myself. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The latter part of verse 9, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And, in, and I've written this in my Bible. I put a little note there. Even those things he has prepared especially for me. See, God has prepared things for the church. He has prepared eternal life. We've already noticed that. He has prepared every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But God has a plan for your life. God has prepared some specific things for you, for your life, that he wants you to accomplish, things that he wants you to have, things he wants you to operate in that belong to you uniquely. And he didn't just think them up when you came on the scene. He didn't just see uh, uh, Quentin over there when he was born and go, oh man, these people are, you know, they're just, everybody, they're just babies everywhere. I'm just going to have to, here's another one. I'm going to have to have something prepared for, for Quentin or for Angela or for Steve. Here they come. They just keep having babies. I'm just going to have to, I, you know, I, I'm, when am I going to stop having to come up with stuff? No, God prepared things for Deborah before eternity Prepared things for Quentin before the generations ever came. God prepared things for you and me. Before time actually began, before time even was, there was a call on your life. Do you know that? I said I was going to close with that. Go over with me to First, First Timothy. Or Second Timothy, let's see. Hallelujah. I get out of Colossians, I could find this. Second Timothy. Second Timothy one. Verse eight. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You just keep wearing that big old round red nose. <laughs> Nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings. We've been talking about that lately. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. But don't just share in the suffering. Don't just suffer. Suffer according to the power of God. See, the whole time you're suffering, the whole time people are mocking you, the whole time people are, are discounting what you believe and criticizing the people who even preach the gospel, the whole time that's happening, you have the power of God. You have the power of God operating in your life. Glory to God. Now notice God, verse nine, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God had a purpose in mind. He ordained your future. He ordained your walk. He ordained what you would do for his glory. Not just what you would have, but your calling. Your calling. God called you and me. Before time began. 
God called us. Not according to our own works. Not according to what we merited, but according to his own purpose. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for every one of us. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a, there's a reason. There's a plan. And there's grace for you to fulfill God's plan. Now, I wanted to get further into this today, but it just took me a little while to get here. God has a plan and we need to find out what that plan is. God has a purpose. Each one of us must discover God's purpose. We all share certain things in common. God's purpose is that we be saved, that we have eternal life, and we have a redemption and all the things that belong to us. But, but it, it, it goes beyond that. There's a purpose for you. There's a, there's a, a, a grace for your life. Most Christians live and die and never discover God's plan. Most Christians live and die and never discover what God really wanted them to accomplish. We, we, we need to, we need to uh, start paying attention. How, how do you discover these things? The spirit the, the things that are prepared for us. But we know them by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Listen, when it says, we didn't get this far in First Corinthians, but it says the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God, or maybe we did. Uh, but when it says the Spirit searches all things, the Spirit's not searching because he doesn't know. <laughs> I used the illustration a few weeks ago, uh, plumbing the depths. Like the old fishing, you know, vessels, they'd plumb the depths to find out, you know, how deep the water was. The Spirit searches the deep things of God. Not because He doesn't know. We're the ones that don't know. And He can't show us everything at one time. We couldn't handle it. So to us, it seems like the Spirit is searching. Because he'll bring up, as, as we pay attention, he'll bring up some, some, some revelation for us about our walk, about what he's planned for us, and about what he wants us to accomplish. In just a little bit, the Spirit will bring that up. And as we walk in that, he'll, he'll go down and search out a little bit. Again, he knows what's down there. We're the, it seems like an investigation. It seems like a searching. But really, the searching is, is, is on our side. The Spirit, he could, you know, he could bring it all up, but we couldn't handle it. So he'll reveal to you a little bit about your walk, a little bit about his plan, a little bit about his call, a little bit about what he wants you to accomplish in life. And as you act on that, then you are preparing yourself for more. Most Christians never even search it out. They never even inquire of the Spirit. Other than just being saved and going through an ordinary life, you know, they just, and, and, and a lot of times ministers are partly responsible for this because we just want to tell people, you just got to get ready for heaven. You just got to get ready for heaven. You just got, well, that's true, but that's just the beginning. Yes, we need to get ready for heaven, but there's something he wants us to accomplish here. And, and I want more. I want to stand before him with more than just my salvation ticket punched, you know. Yeah, you get in, you know, you get in the, you know, you're, you're accepted. You can come in. I, I, I want more than just my salvation ticket punched. I want, it, I want some things accomplished. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. We'll get into this a little bit further as we go forward. Glory to God. God... <laughs> How exciting can it be? How exciting? Your part, what God has prepared for you. How exciting do you imagine that can be? Pretty exciting. He planned it a long time ago, not just yesterday or last year. He has a plan that he has ordained before 
before, there were, before the world existed, before time started ticking off, God knew you. God knew you had a plan for your life. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Father, we pray today, Lord, that we will be serious-minded with a great deal of excitement. (laughs) Glory to God. They will have great anticipation as we search, as we inquire of the Spirit, as we seek you, Father, concerning what you would have us do and how we would live, Father, and what we would accomplish for you. Father, we, we do it with, with great anticipation, great joy. We don't know necessarily everything that's ahead, but we know it's the best thing possible for us. There's no other track. There's no other pursuits. There are no other plans we can make that can come close to the plans you've made. Father, we pray that we will have the the grace by your help, your wisdom, your ability to move into what you have for us next. What is the next thing? What would you have us do now? And then what would you have us to do next, Father? Glory to God. Reveal yourself to each one of us, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.